It's good to be with you this evening. Um, our topic tonight is forgiveness, and I'll start with a story. It was the worst year of my life, and it was the lowest point at the worst year of my life. And I remember talking to a friend, and I told my friend, I feel like I'm caught in a spider's web. I feel like I'm trapped, I feel like I'm not free, and I feel like I'm just waiting to be devoured. Part of the reason that I felt trapped and in this spider's web is that I had just come out of a season where I had received wounds and been sinned against by several people, and I did my fair share of, of sinning against them and wounding them. I also, more than that, this was a season of great disobedience to the Lord. It was the greatest season of disobedience in my life up to this point. And so along with this was this uh, the shame, the regret. I was in the moment where that was all becoming clear. I'd been deceived, and I'd been living in deception, walking kind of the two lives, and it came to an end. And I looked back and I said, I was so deceived, and I went so far astray. And now I was sit facing with the sin against others, the wounds I've received and given, and more than anything, the disobedience against God. And this was all the time that I was studying to be a pastor. I was studying the Bible. I thought I was being a passionate Christian. All the more reason that I felt caught in the spider's web, ready to be devoured. So that week, there was a, uh, there was a prayer meeting, some of the charismatic kids on campus. Uh, they, they were calling a prayer meeting, and I thought, okay, well, I, I should go to this. I need prayer. So I show up to the meeting, and they say, does anybody here need prayer? I said, over here, I need prayer. And I didn't tell them anything. They just came over, and they started to pray. And after about a minute or two of listening, one of the prayer ministers said, I have an image. I see your heart, and around your heart, there's like a cobweb. And I said, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. She said, and, and I, see the finger of, <laughs> I see the finger of God gently going around the outside of your heart, and it's wiping away that cobweb. This is nine years ago, and, and it still chokes me up to think about. In that moment, the Lord was saying, I see you in your sin, and in the wounds you've received and the wounds you've given and that trap that you feel, and I'm setting you free. Because prior to that moment, I was wondering, okay, it's one thing when you've gone astray because you're, you're doubting God and you're angry at God and whatever, you go off and you have a rampage and you detour. But, but I, I thought that I was still following the Lord and I went so far astray. Can I be restored? Can I really be forgiven? That was the question in my heart. That was part of what made me feel trapped. And in that moment and through that prayer, the Lord was saying, yes, I am forgiving you, and yes, I am going to restore you and set you free. And I learned in that moment, there are many things that we can talk about in regards to forgiveness, but tonight I learned this. Or that night I learned this, tonight this is what we're going to talk about. That forgiveness sets the heart free to live in love. Forgiveness sets the heart free to live in love. And in that moment, my heart was set free, and I loved the Lord. I loved Him like I've never loved Him before, because I received His mercy. 
And from that great healing, probably the, one of the greatest healings I've received in my life, I went forward and eventually was able to reconcile with those people and live in a free love for them and with them. It changed my life to find out forgiveness sets our hearts free to live in love. Forgiveness is like a healing potion. It's like a medicine for our souls that when we receive it, when we take it in, it opens us up to receive the love that God is always wanting us to have. He's always wanting to give us the fullness of His love. And once we're filled up with that love and His mercy, and we know, yes, it is even for me, then we're set free to love others and we live in love not only for God but for others. We're set free. This comes by forgiveness. Forgiveness sets the heart free to live in love. But maybe you're here tonight and you also are feeling like I was long ago. You're feeling trapped in some way. You're feeling locked down. There's something in you that you don't know what it is. You don't know how to name it or articulate it, but there's something that's keeping you from receiving the full love of God or from giving that full love to others. And maybe tonight the Lord is wanting to say, it's, there's, there's a lack of forgiveness in your life. And we're going to talk about three barriers to forgiveness, three things that will keep us from receiving forgiveness that will then keep us also from that freedom. So if you're here tonight and you sense that maybe there is a lack of freedom in you anywhere, perhaps it's a sign, pay attention, the Lord wants to show you where there might be a lack of forgiveness in your life. The good news is the Lord is here to, to take that up, to remove that, to give you the love that He wants to give you. Uh, every day when I get home, it's the highlight of my day to see my two little toddler girls, my twins, come to the door and greet me and say, welcome home, Papa. I give them a kiss. I give them a hug. But they're at an age now, they're two and a half, where they're beginning to discover autonomy and sometimes just for the fun of it, they decide to be coy and say, I say, give, give Papa a kiss. They say, no, Papa, and they run away. Say, Fine, I'll go make dinner. I hate that. As a father, I hate that barrier between intimacy. I want to be able to give love to my children. I want to receive their love back. God is the same way. So he's here tonight. He wants to remove those barriers. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But first, uh, if you want, you can turn to the gospel passage, or if you don't want to, that's fine too. Uh, this is a very familiar story, the story of Jesus going to the cross. But tonight, let's focus on Barabbas. Barabbas is a helpful person for us, an image for us to get kind of into his shoes, think from his perspective, and say, okay, we're Barabbas. We're Barabbas. Here's how I think this, this works. Now, I don't know Hebrew, and I'm not an Aramaic scholar. I'm not a New Testament scholar, so if there are any here tonight, you'll probably want to wring my neck afterwards because this exegesis comes not from commentaries or language study, but from a conversation I had with a friend one time. But it's helpful for our purposes. So the name Barabbas, Bar-Abbas. Now, I don't know anything about Aramaic, but I know this. Bar means son of, because in another place in the Gospels, Peter's called Simon Bar-Jonah, and then in parentheses it says son of Jonah, right? I got that from the English. I don't know Aramaic, but Bar means son of. Okay, so Bar-Abbas. Well, I know from another place in the Gospels that Abba means father. 
So Barabbas, Barabbas, is the son of the father. So here we have in this picture at the cross the righteous son of the father, the eternal one. And we have the unrighteous, Barabbas, son of the father, a murderer, a rebel, deserving death and punishment. And what we see here in the passage, what does the crowd do? They cry out for the release of Barabbas and the condemnation of Jesus. And that's what happens. And so we see the righteous son of the father exchanging places with Barabbas. And at the end of our story today, Barabbas is set free. He is set free. We are Barabbas. This is a picture of us at the moment where we are receiving forgiveness. Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that he came. Paul says on the cross and in Christ, in that moment, God was reconciling the world to himself. He was clearing out the barriers. He's saying no more will there be a distance between us. I want to, for you to experience the fullness of my love. I want you to know my love. And you guys know it's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus. And so then there's this haunting, chilling final verse when they, they cry out, let his blood be on us and our children. And it's prophetic. They didn't realize it when they were saying it, but that's the same thing that you and I say now. From a t- completely different angle, in a completely different context, we say, yes, let his blood be upon us and our children because we know it's the blood of forgiveness. It's the blood of the righteous son of the father exchanging places with the unrighteous one. And when we receive that blood of forgiveness, we know we have been reconciled to God. So that will kind of frame up our conversation a little bit uh, for tonight. Barabbas, the unrighteous son of the father, exchanging places with Jesus, the righteous one. It is for freedom that he came to set us free. So let's, uh, let's talk now. We'll spend the majority of our time talking about what are some of the barriers between us and then receiving that forgiveness. And then for that forgiveness to set us free to live in love. The first barrier I want to talk about is we look at this picture and we say, I'm not Barabbas. I'm not Barabbas. He was a murderer. I haven't killed anybody. He was the worst criminal. I'm not that bad of a criminal. Yes, I had that season where I uh, did some things, but I've repented. Or yes, when I was a little kid, I prayed the prayer. I've done the repentance thing. Now I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm okay. And we deny that we are Barabbas. But if you're here tonight and you're feeling kind of locked up in any way where, where perhaps you're not fully experiencing the love of God and you're not giving back to Him the full love that you know you would like to give Him, perhaps it's because there's this first barrier. There's a lack of freedom because you're not receiving forgiveness. You're not receiving forgiveness because you're not asking for it. Or we look at another place in Scripture where Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, for I once was a murderer and I persecuted the church. And we say, well, I'm not not a murderer and I didn't persecute the church. Back to uh, the story I was telling you about at the beginning, where I sinned against others and they sinned against me. There was a particular relationship with a guy and we completely hated each other for a while. 
truly hated one another. I hated his guts. I wish that he'd never been born. When I thought about him, I wish that he wasn't even in the picture at all, which, if you think about it, that is the seed of which murder is the fruit. And in a consequence-free world, who knows? I probably would have killed him if there truly had been no consequence. That's why Jesus says, if you hate, you are a murderer. So I, I look at that now and I say, wow, I too am a murderer and a persecutor of the church because he was a brother in Christ. And there's a way in which any one of us, if we step back and think, okay, given the privilege that I've had, the, the Christian upbringing maybe, or the chances to, to hear God's word and all of this, yeah, maybe I'm not like a super hardened criminal, but there's a way in which any of us can come to that place and say, yeah, I, I too am the, in the chief of sinners. Or think about the story of the Pharisee and the publican, right? Jesus tells a story, two go up to the temple, one's a Pharisee, one's a publican, and the Pharisee says, God, I'm glad that I'm not like other people. Thank you for not making me like them. And the publican or the tax collector stands far off and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he beats his breast. And Jesus says, that guy went away justified. He was forgiven. I don't know about you, maybe you're like me, I usually typically find myself somewhere in between those two. Okay? I know enough because I've read that story that I'm not going to go around saying, God, I'm glad that I'm not like other people, that you've made me better than them. At least I don't say that out loud. I think it all the dang time. On the other side, though, I'm also not beating my breast and saying, God, have mercy on me, on me a sinner. I'm somewhere in between. Or how about Luke 7 and the, uh, the story of the sinful woman? I love the sinful woman. I love the sinful woman. I love the story of the sinful woman in Luke 7 where Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. And he's at table, and she comes in, and she anoints his feet with that expensive perfume. She cries tears at his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And what do the Pharisees say? They're indignant. And they say, what is he doing letting this sinful woman touch him? And what does he say? He says, when I came in, you, you basically said hi, that was about it. When she came in, she did not stop kissing my feet and weeping over me. And he says, two guys owed a lot of money. One a little bit, one a lot, lot, lot. And the master forgave both those debts. Who's going to love more? And the Pharisees say, well, I guess the one who had the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus said, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. And when I read that and I step back and I examine my life, I say, you know what? Most of the time, I'm not weeping at the feet of Jesus. I'm not overflowing with that kind of love and devotion. And there is a lack of freedom there. There is a hindrance. But I want that. I want to be in that place where I'm able to totally give that love back to God and receive the love that He has for me. And the key to break through this barrier of not asking for forgiveness or of not thinking that we need forgiveness, the key to break through and find that freedom that allows us to live in the love of God is this. Very simply, we humble ourselves and we say, God, I am blind. Open my eyes to see the depth of my sin and the height of your holiness. God, I am blind. I will acknowledge that. And that even now, I think that I'm mostly doing all right, but that's a kind of blindness too. 
And that if I, if I stepped back and if I allowed your Holy Spirit in, I would see a greater depth of my sin. I would also see a greater depth of your holiness. And the result would be I would be in awe of your mercy. I would be in awe of your love for me. And we would come to a place where maybe if we're not necessarily, you know, beating our breast and crying, at least we're saying, yes, yes, I am a sinner, but the Lord has had mercy on me. So if that's a place that you're in tonight, that first barrier sounds like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of like run-of-the-mill, uh, run in-the-middle, not really feeling uh, super prideful, but not also super penitent. Here's one exercise, besides praying that prayer and inviting the Lord into that space, here's another exercise that I would give for you to do either tonight or at some point this week. It's a great exercise. I do it when I'm driving because uh, I don't know about you, when I, when I pray while I drive, I get distracted or in accidents. <clears throat> so here's a prayer that you can pray while you drive that's really, really simple. Some of you know it already. It's called the Jesus Prayer or the Hesychastic Prayer. And the version that I like the best goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you just pray that prayer over and over. If you feel like maybe you're in this place where you don't know why, but you're not fully receiving the love of God and you're not fully giving back the love that He deserves, take a, take a timer like a stopwatch or something. Set it for 10 minutes some point this week and just pray that prayer for 10 minutes. See what happens. Again, you might not come to the place of completely beating your breast, but there will be a heart change. There will be an attitude change. And you will be set free more and more to receive and to live in the love of God. All right, so first barrier is saying, I'm not Barabbas. That's not me. And the antidote is inviting the Lord to humble us, maybe even praying the hesychastic prayer. Second barrier. Second barrier that we're going to talk about tonight when it comes to forgiveness is you know all too well that you are Barabbas. You know that you need forgiveness. You know it desperately. But for whatever reason, you don't feel forgiven. You cannot receive the mercy that God wants to bring to you. There's something that's resisting it where you either believe that God can't forgive you or that God won't forgive you. If you believe that God can't forgive you, this, this is when doubts or despair, they kind of creep in and we start to wonder, yeah, but is God really able to forgive me this many times? I, I keep struggling with the same sin. Or with a story that I shared, man, I really went far astray and I had no excuses. Will he really restore me? Will I really be forgiven? Is he able? And we're, we're fraught with doubt. We despair. There's a fatigue about confession. Like, I've confessed this so many times. Is he really going to forgive me again? When it comes to uh, feeling like God can't forgive you, we need to hear from others. We need to hear from the church. We need to have the gospel proclaimed. I feel like there have been seasons in my life where if somebody wasn't preaching the gospel to me like three times a day, I don't know if I'd still be a Christian anymore. There are times when I remember in particular there was a, a teaching I had to give a few years back 
on this very similar subject about forgiveness and the mercy and the love of God. And I, I just, I wasn't feeling it. And I sat at the table with Julie the night before and I said, here's, here's what I'm talking about, but I just, I don't even believe it myself. And she preached to me the gospel. And she preached basically the same sermon that I was going to preach the next day. But for whatever reason, in my own study and as I prepared, I couldn't receive it on my own. I needed someone else to speak it into my life and to hear from them, yes, God is able to say what the Bible reminds us in like Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. As far as east is from the west, so far he's removed your sins from you. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, and his anger does not last forever. There's no well too deep that you could crawl into that he can't pull you out of. There's no sin that you can do that is not forgivable. There's none. What God cares about is a broken and contrite heart. That he will never deny. And those are the kinds of things that, yeah, we all know it up here. Most of us in this room, probably every one of us in this room, we all know that. But sometimes there's a barrier and we just can't feel that forgiveness. And we wonder, am I, am I really forgiven? Or sometimes, uh, I was in prayer about this uh, talk tonight and, and felt like, all right, a very particular instance in where we may not feel free to receive the forgiveness of God, even though we know it, we know we need it, is with unconfessed sin. And I'm not talking about, you know, going back over your life and trying to remember every time that you did any kind of sin, but I'm talking about the sins that you do know about. You can't forget them, but you've never told anybody else about them. Yes, you've confessed them to God, but you've never told anybody else about them. I had some such sin as this, a sin that I had never told anybody else about before. And I know you're all wondering what it is. I'm not going to tell you. Nice try. No way. Not that vulnerable. But it did eat me up inside. And I just didn't like the fact that there was one thing that I just did not feel able that I could share with somebody else. And finally, I said, you know what? This keeps eating me up. I don't feel free. I went to a brother who I loved and trusted, and I knew I could entrust him with my deepest and darkest sin. And I just told him, I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay it out for you, and then I'm going to run away. I told him. He listened. He said, God forgives you, Brett. And he said a lot of other wonderful gospel good news stuff, and I received it so deeply. And again, my heart was set free to live in love. The forgiveness that I received at that moment, even though I had confessed that sin to the Lord before, there was something powerful and there was something broken in that sin, in that moment, that it doesn't have a hold on me anymore. Because now I can say, there's nothing that I've done that somebody in the church doesn't know about that I haven't confessed. And that's powerful. So perhaps, perhaps there is something, it's an unconfessed sin, and it's keeping you from freedom. And tonight or at some point in the near future, the Lord is moving in your heart to say, go to the church, go to a brother or a sister, go to a deacon, go to a priest, make that confession. Because here's the power of the church. When we go to somebody in the church, especially if they're a trained minister, and we tell them what we've done, if for whatever imaginable reason God was not going to forgive you, they'd be the ones to know. Like, yeah, God's not going to forgive you for that. 
Okay? So if that ever happens, put it to the test. If that ever happens, then you can go away and believe, all right, I guess I'm not forgiven on that one, if that ever happens. But it will never happen because every minister of the church and even our fellow priests of the priesthood of all believers, when we hear an honest confession, we know, instinctively we know, you are forgiven. And we remind one another of the blood of forgiveness that is for you every time. So there's power in going to the church. There's power in hearing it from an external source. There's power in coming to the Eucharist and receiving from something outside of yourself, from the one outside of yourself who has the authority to proclaim forgiveness of sins. Now, as Protestants, we get a little uncomfortable sometimes when we think about going to the church. But there are passages in the New Testament, and they make it very clear that Jesus has given real power and authority to his church to make forgiveness happen. Through the cross, yes, the cross is the fountain, the cross is the source. But he says to the apostles, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you do not, they are not. As Protestants, we just say, wow, that makes us uncomfortable. Sounds like kind of popish stuff. But it's there. We can't ignore it. But on the other side, what incredible freedom then when you go to the church and you hear the words of absolution, whether on a Sunday morning when it's Stuart standing up or any other priest making the sign of the cross and proclaiming your forgiveness, there is power there. There is real power because Jesus said so. He gave it to the disciples. Um, there's a couple instances where it talks about it, but in John 20, it's after he's resurrected and he comes to the disciples. First time he sees them after he's been raised from the dead. First time he sees them after they denied him, betrayed him, ran away. First time he sees them, and his first word, peace. Which is so much more than feel good, but it's actually reconciliation. The word he speaks, we are reconciled. Peace, I forgive you. And the next thing he says, and I give you authority to forgive others. Because I'm guessing in that moment, those apostles were feeling something like I felt that night with the picture of the heart covered in the cobweb. They're feeling the amazing release of freedom that forgiveness brings. And that's why he says, now go give that to other people. You've tasted and you've seen it's good. Go give that to other people. Proclaim forgiveness. So when we feel like God can't forgive our sins, go to the church. He'll remind us. Sometimes, I'll just make a quick note here, sometimes we believe that God won't forgive our sins. We believe he's able, but we just feel like he, he will not for me. Yes, he, he maybe will for other people, but his goodness doesn't reach that far for me. And this is the sin of self-hatred. Self-hatred is when we come before the Lord and, and we say, I'm not worthy. I'm simply not worthy, and because I'm not worthy, I will not receive the love and the mercy that you want to give me. I have to push that away for whatever reason. And instead, it can sometimes be a, a wallowing or a, an indulging of self-hatred where we, we just simply say, you know what, God? I'm going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. You cannot tell me that I'm lovely. You cannot tell me that something is beautiful when I know it's ugly. And in the end, as crazy as it may seem, self-hatred is pride because we're putting ourselves in God's place and saying, you will not love me. I cannot, I'm not worthy. I cannot receive your love. 
And for this too, we need to go to the church and hear others proclaim and pronounce God's love for us. And to say, no, He loves you. And yes, you. We need the church when we don't feel forgiven. And that's the second barrier. Let's move on now to the third barrier. This one is, if we will not forgive others. If we do not forgive others. Okay, so you know in the Lord's Prayer, part of the Lord's Prayer is, as we forgive others, so forgive us. And maybe you've wondered, what's the nature of that as? Forgive us as we forgive others. Is it like at the same time? Like, all right, as you're forgiving, I'll forgive too. We'll do it at the same time as this is happening. Or is it an as, as in to the degree that? In other words, God, forgive us to the degree that we forgive others. That's a big difference. If you read in Matthew chapter 7 where the Lord's Prayer is, it's either 6 or 7, right after the Lord's Prayer is given, Jesus himself gives a little bit of commentary on it. And what does he focus on? He focuses on that phrase. And he says, For if you do not forgive the sins of others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Makes it very clear. I remember praying for a woman a couple years ago, and she had been reeling from an incredible, painful situation, coming out of divorce, coming out of just a real mess. And we were praying together, and in my young naivety, I just simply asked, okay, uh, have, you, have you forgiven your, your ex? And she looked at me, she's like, am I supposed to do that? I, I don't think I, I I'm not going to do that. And, and I, I balked. I was, I don't know what to do. Like, do I, do I tell her? Like, yeah, you need to. She said, there's no way I can. What he, do, what he did to me was too great. After that, um, you know, I went away from there. I said, well, is, is there any circumstance in which we're allowed to say, no, not yet, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to forgive someone? And I think as I read more in the scriptures and as we read tonight from Colossians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we ask ourselves, how did the Lord forgive me? Did he forgive me when I acknowledged my sin and came to him and said, yeah, I need your forgiveness? Or did he forgive me before I even knew I had a problem? I think the Bible's pretty clear. No, he went to the cross. He died before anybody came to him and said, we need your forgiveness. He forgave without condition. He completely forgave. And the clear call, but the most difficult thing, is that we have to do the same. We must forgive. And when there are those instances where there's someone that we, we just we cannot feel like we want to forgive them, we just can't get to that place where I feel like I want to forgive them, the Bible's still really clear. I'll forgive them anyway. As often as the bitterness arises, forgive them. As often as you have to, forgive them. Later on in Matthew, Jesus tells a parable. It's one you're probably familiar with. It starts because Peter comes up to him and he says, all right, Jesus, if my brother sins against me seven times in a day and asks for forgiveness, should I forgive him seven times? Is that kind of the limit? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, 
unlimited, unconditional forgiveness. And then he goes on to tell the story. Remember, there was a king, and he had two servants. Or sorry, this is the one where he had one servant, and this servant owed him the equivalent of what would be for us like millions of dollars. And he called in the servant and said, all right, time to pay up. And the servant pleaded and said, there's no way I can pay you. Please don't throw me in jail. And the king says, you know what? Okay, you're free. I forgive your millions completely. And then the servant goes out, and he bumps into a guy in the street who owes him a couple hundred. And he says, pay up. And the guy who owes him a couple hundred says, I ain't got it. I don't have it right now. And what does the servant do? The wicked servant grabs him by the scruff of the neck, throws him in jail, and says, you're not getting out until you pay me every last cent of those hundreds of dollars you owe me. The other servants who knew what had happened run to the king, and they say, this is what happened. They're appalled. And the king goes, he grabs a wicked servant, and he says, I forgave you millions, and you wouldn't forgive this guy the hundreds. And then Jesus again repeats. He says, for if you do not forgive those who've sinned against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And part of the reason that we, we have a difficult time, like the woman that I prayed with years ago, is that, again, going back to Barabbas, we, we don't think that we really owe God the millions. We're not ready to admit that. We, we think we just maybe owe him a few, hundred, or maybe even less. And then it's that much easier when others sin against us and owe us something to get really righteously indignant about it. Because we forget, wait a minute, wait a minute, I owed God millions. And we say, but wait a minute, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not that bad. How is it that I owe God millions? I've never done the things to others that people have done to me. And I've never done those things to God that people have done to me. How is it that I owe Him millions? And this parable just shows we do. We are in debt before the Lord. Again, going back to that prayer, God, show me the depth of my sin and the height of your holiness. Uh, I was reading in a Harvard Business Review. Yeah, I know, right? I was reading in Harvard Business Review an article about a woman who, uh, she goes around and she encourages, particularly other women, women who have to get up and talk, uh, do anything that requires public speaking, she says, all right, when you don't feel confident, here's what you do. Stand confident. Do a, a pose. She called it power posing. And if you stand confident while you're giving the presentation, you will actually start to feel more confident inside. And so she does this all over the place, and people swear by it, and they're like, yeah, it's true. I went in not feeling confident, but I faked it. The title of the article is actually Fake It Till You Make It. And power posing. When I don't feel confident, I make my body confident, and in the end, I feel confident. So that's the same kind of principle that's at work when we've got a person in our lives or a sin that was done against us, and we just don't feel like forgiving them. This may sound strange. The answer, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Forgive that person every day. Forgive that person as often as the bitterness arises. Forgive them. Because like... Uh, Amy Cuddy is the name of, of this woman. What she's discovered, the same is true for forgiveness. That at the beginning, even if you don't feel it, words have power. And over time, those words will be like a seed planted, 
growing into a tree, bearing fruit, and the fruit of it will be you actually come to a place where not only you want to forgive that person, but you want to love that person. Because you're forgiving them, now you are set free to live in love and to have love for that other person. So I'm going to end with giving you a couple exercises. These are just sort of like, uh, have you ever heard of those food fasts that people do? They're like all the rage now. Where, where they like cut everything out or do something really ridiculous in order to cleanse their body. And they just do it periodically. So this is sort of like a forgiveness fast, an idea to just kind of cleanse out. One thing you can do is just go through all the significant relationships in your life, starting with mom, dad, siblings, spouse, children, co-workers, friends, and just one by one in the place of prayer. It doesn't have to be anything more complicated than, God, I forgive my dad for any sin that he's ever done against me. I just forgive him completely right now. And you just cycle through every person you know. You don't have to, like, necessarily dwell on specific sins because, again, we don't even know all the sins that have been done against us. But with each person, we just pronounce forgiveness before the Lord, and we just say, all right, I forgive all of these people in my life. If you do that, and if you do that regularly, you're going to feel this cleansing. It's going to be this cathartic, wow, release into freedom. Okay? So that's one exercise. Just go through all the people in your life. Just pronounce forgiveness. Just speak the words. Second thing that you can do is if there's a, a sin that you're particularly struggling with, like for me, I, I judge other people. I look down on other people. I think I'm better than other people. I hate it, and I wish I could get free of it. One thing that I found is I go in the place of prayer, and I say, okay, according to this principle about forgiving others, and then I receive forgiveness, I forgive anybody who's ever looked down on me. I forgive anybody who's ever judged me, whoever has ever thought that they were better than me, I forgive them. And this works for gossip. Anybody who's ever gossiped against me, I forgive them. Anybody who's ever talked about me behind my back, any, whatever may be your particular sins that you struggle with over and over again, in that place to say, Lord, I forgive anyone who's ever harmed me in this way, and now please forgive me when I look down on others. So those are two exercises you can do to begin entering into that freedom that comes from speaking forgiveness. So again, those three barriers tonight, where are you at? Are you wondering, am I fully receiving the love that God has for me? Am I fully giving back to him the love that I want to give? Am I weeping at the feet of Jesus? If not, humble yourself before the Lord. Ask him to show you the depth of your sin and the height of his holiness. If you're in a place where you know you need forgiveness, but you can't feel the forgiveness, either you think God won't or he can't, go to the church. Find a brother, find a sister, find a priest, find a deacon, and just say, here's where I'm at. I need to hear the gospel. Preach the gospel to me. I need it. And receive forgiveness. Finally, if there is anyone in your life where you are struggling, I just can't forgive them. Fake it till you make it. Pronounce forgiveness. Go through all the people in your life, pronounce forgiveness for them, and let yourselves be cleansed and find the forgiveness of the Lord. His whole goal, his whole idea of forgiveness is that we would enter into the freedom of his love, 
and give that freedom to others.